0: Hey everybody, Sean and Sean from Silicon Theory. And now that CES is over, we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things that caught our eye from the week-long tech show and conference. And uh, there's a lot to cover, but we're just gonna touch on the things that we thought were most interesting. There were more things that you could possibly imagine introduced at CES 2018, and a lot of them won't even see the light of day. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things that we liked and some of the things that we do think will find its way into gadgets this year. So, what's your number one? For me, uh, it's definitely got to be the introduction of the Clear ID sensor from Synaptics. This is definitely the future of biometric technology. The fact that right now it can only be used in OLED panels isn't super discouraging because I think that most of the Android uh, phones in this space are going to go that direction, anyways. And uh, the iPhones are rumored to be using OLED panels in 2018, too. So if Apple does want to get rid of that uh, janky Face ID thing or include uh, Clear ID along with Face ID, uh, this is by far the standout for me from the show. Just truly awesome tech. So for those of you that
1: haven't been following around, what Sean's referring to is the first under-screen fingerprint sensor. Um, This has kind of been the holy grail that people have been chasing. It was rumored that Apple was trying to get this ready for the iPhone X and couldn't get it to work. Samsung, similarly, was trying to get this to work with the Galaxy S8 and the Note 8 and couldn't get it to work. Not in time. Um, The rumors were that the old system, when they were off, you could still see the area where the scanner was under the screen, so it was kind of this weird spot when you looked at the screen, so no one could get it to work. So the good news is this one works. Um, By all accounts, the hands-on is that it works quite well, and what it does is actually Shining light through the gaps in the subpixels on the OLED screen reads your fingerprint and it works just like it normally has with fingerprint scanners in the past. Uh, we saw a lot of videos of this, and from a speed standpoint, it looked to be pretty
0: good. 0.7 seconds, I think, is what the claim was, which does seem a tick slow when compared to the current capacity to fingerprint sensors, but in terms of functionality and usability, plenty fast. And actually, to be honest, when I looked at the videos, it was a lot faster than I thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah, and Vivo showed this, and their parent company is Oppo, which also is the parent company for OnePlus. So uh, the. The design that was shown was essentially a OnePlus 5T with the fingerprint scanner removed from the back and it had this in its place in the front. Um, we're already seeing rumors that the OnePlus 6 is probably going to launch a little bit earlier this year with this tech built in. So we expect to see this probably sometime in the first half of the year. Um, Samsung's also be rumored to be integrating this into the Note 9, so I expect that we'll see it there. Uh, it's kind of interesting though, David Rudick is one of our favorite people, he's on Android Police, wrote an interesting article saying it worked really well, he tried it, but it's probably too little too late. He thinks that Apple has already kind of shifted the conversation to face unlock, um, and I think there's some merit to that argument. I have to tell you, for me personally, and not to get greedy here, but I would like to have a fingerprint scanner on the back, the under-display uh, fingerprint scanner, and Face ID built in eventually. Uh, is that is that unreasonable?
0: Uh, wanting all of the biometric scanning techniques. Why would that be unreasonable?
1: Well, because they each have like distinct pros and cons from my perspective. So the Under Display is great for when it's laying on a table and you want to unlock your phone. The Back Fingerprint Scanner is great when you pull it out of your pocket and you just want to unlock it real quick. And the Face ID is great for just, you know, if you just pick up your phone and it unlocks or does whatever. So they each have kind of merits um, and I think they each have distinct pros and cons. So I figured the best way to handle that is just have all of them.
0: And if anybody could do it, Samsung would be the one to do it, definitely. I would expect that in the Note 9, uh, if not sooner, for sure.
1: It'll be interesting to see actually what people do with this. I mean, is OnePlus, for instance, on the OnePlus 6, going to remove the scanner from the back of the 5T and move to this under display? Will they offer both? Um, I don't know where it's going.
0: We'll know soon enough, uh, sounds like June, I think, for the next uh, OnePlus device coming out. So Maybe may a go... little earlier,
1: but yeah, and we'll see a Vivo, they'll probably release some variant
0: of this phone earlier in the year, I guess. We'll know probably internationally sooner than here domestically, but yeah, at the very latest, maybe June, and definitely interested to see where the future of this technology is headed. Yeah, pretty
1: cool stuff. So moving on, That's I would next. say the next most interesting thing to me was the 146-inch, Micro LED wall modular Samsung television, which literally really
0: called the wall from Samsung.
1: I'd love to have one in my living room. So, what this is, um, micro LED is a display technology that we've been talking about for a few years. There's been rumors that Apple bought a company to do this, and a lot of people think this is the next big thing in displays. Um, right now, kind of the best, if you will, display standard is OLED. Um, And that's using organic uh, fluids, essentially, that when you run a current through them, uh, light up different colors. And that's what the screens on, you know, Samsung AMOLED screens on their smartphones are made out of. Now, the problem with AMOLED screens are um, the blue uh, subpixels, and this is getting really nerdy territory, they aren't as bright as the others. So you have to make them bigger, and they burn out more quickly. So they actually, over time, will fade. And so what Samsung's done in phones is they just use Pentile, you know, matrix subpixel arrangement, and that kind of mitigates the the earlier burnout. And at that display size on phones, you can't really tell the difference. But when you try to blow this up to television size, you can't really do pentile matrix. You can see very distinct artifacting around, you know, anything really images. So Samsung tried to do true RGB OLED TVs. It was too expensive. It didn't work. They kind of got out of that space. The only true OLED TVs left right now are the LG ones, but even those are actually a weird hybrid technology where it's using a white LED and then it uses a color filter over that to create different colors. So it's not exactly the same as a traditional OLED display. So micro-LED kind of combines the best of both worlds. These are actually tiny LEDs that are independently lit, but unlike uh, organic light-emitting material, um, they're just a normal LED, so the luminosity, if that's a word, I'm going to make it up for sure. Sure, let's go with that. Is the same kind of across the board. So what you would get with these TVs are the ability to turn off pixels completely so you get completely black blacks, but you don't have to worry about all of the downsides of the organic light emitting diode, which means you would in theory have the best of all technologies phone and kind of the best display you can get. Um, The problem is this technology has been very hard to kind of miniaturize and very expensive to produce. Very expensive. And this was more of a proof of concept than anything else. Like, I can't even imagine how much this thing cost, but... A lot more than your house. I think it's exciting because it's coming, it looks like, for TVs and I think eventually we'll get them in our mobile displays, too. And for me, it's like, you know, I'm looking down the line and for current technology limits,
0: this looks to be about as good as you can get on displays. And the interesting thing to me about it was that it was modular, and so you could, Samsung primi- theorizes that their premise is a consumer could put together any size TV they want to match any size wall they want. So, you want a 146-inch TV? We got you. You want a 65-inch TV? We just take a couple of the panels out, and boom, it scales to whatever size you need. And that's really awesome. and just. Uh, an amazing bit of technology and yes right now it's going to be marketed towards the high-end consumers in homes and home theater systems but uh, as Sean's already mentioned eventually this will make its way into regular consumers hands and I think it truly is the future of this kind of display technology.
1: Yeah, I don't know how soon we're going to actually see this. I don't know if we're looking at a couple years before we'll have consumer variants of this or whether we're talking about five years or hell maybe ends up being vaporware. I don't think so though. I I think this is actually the next big thing and it's it's exciting technology so don't be shocked too if Apple I know they bought a company to do this. I'm, I'm wondering if they'll be the first in the mobile display space, but, but we'll see. Stay tuned to Silicon3. We'll
0: definitely have some more on that.
1: All right. And sticking with Samsung because you all know I'm a Samsung homer a little bit here. Um, Samsung Mobile doesn't show anything publicly generally at CES, Uh, typically they hold their announcements until MWC or they actually do their own announcements, Um, but they did confirm that the Galaxy S9 and S9 Plus will be unveiled at MWC in February this year, Um, and the rumor is those are going to release a little bit earlier than they did last year, so sometime in the March timeframe, so um, that's a big announcement coming down the pipe. Um, Also they showed behind closed doors, and the public doesn't get to see this unfortunately, so nothing leaked out, um, their foldable phone. So, this is kind of the next big thing probably for form factors as far as phones are concerned. The rumor is that the first foldable phone from Samsung is a 7.3 inch device. We've seen all kinds of patents and things leak out. Um, It's kind of weird, you know, I always envisioned the foldable phone would unfold more um, like a book and it would unfold into a tablet when you did it. But the designs we've seen, they do vertically so you'd have you know, we already have pretty super tall phones with the Note 8, and I yes. guess this would be even like, more super tall, which I don't see a lot of utility there because when you're looking at media and whatnot, I don't know, you know, you just have a bunch of black space on the end of the, the video. But, Probably, yeah. Um, as far as the technology itself, is intriguing. It's using, obviously, OLED on a plastic substrate. Um, it'll be interesting to see as they bring this out. It, it sounds like the issues they're having with bringing this to market actually are more aligned with the operating system and how you kind of interact with it less so than the technology itself. Uh, it sounds like they have the technology kind of down, but it'll be interesting when this comes out to see what we have. Um, rumor is the prototype that they showed could be folded 200,000 times, which should easily last the life of the phone. That's a lot, yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting to see the covering. I mean, the companies that have used plastic tops, plastic screens, like Motorola has in the Moto Z and the Moto Z2 Force, have had a lot of problems with scratching. Um, compared to glass, it just scratches a lot easier. Way easier. And it really looks beat up. So. It's going to be interesting, obviously we can't have glass if the screen's going to fold, so it's going to have to be some kind of plastic, but I'm interested to see how Samsung is going to solve the problem of, you know,
0: the scratching issue on a plastic screen. Well, and it looks like uh, this is going to be a different proof of concept than the other foldable phone that's right now, out right now, the Axon M, which is basically two separate independent panels that are tied together in software to mimic uh, a single panel, whereas Samsung's actually done this with a single panel. So. There's gonna be a lot of uh, interesting innovation in this foldable space as we move forward. The Exon M is uh, not quite there yet in terms of its functionality and usability. There are a bunch of other videos of early adopters and early testers of this phone, and um, it's, it's interesting, again, more as a proof of concept than anything else, but not quite there, and again, because this prototype from Samsung was behind closed doors. We don't know a ton yet, but uh, as it leaks out, I'm sure that we're definitely going to be covering this a little bit more.
1: Yeah, for those of you who watch Westworld, like, I'm looking for that Westworld tablet. that just kind of opens up, and it, it sounds like we're not necessarily, so far, that they, they have the battery tech and some of the other things. Um, the only other thing I'm really interested in seeing what Samsung does is, what kind of material did you use for this? Because they use glass for all of their phones. Yeah. And when they used plastic on the back, uh, those Samsung years, it was some ugly phones and designs. So it's like, it'll be interesting to see they're gonna have to actually shift their design away from what they've been using the last few years. Is it the Note 5 that had the Band-Aid on the back? No, it was the Galaxy S5 that, oh, that looked S, like a band-aid. S5, That's right, yeah, yeah
0: the band phone. Yeah, don't do that Samsung, don't do that.
1: Yeah, I, I can't wait to see what they come out with though. This will be something kind of new and we haven't seen that in mobile for a while.
0: Moving away from Samsung to something that was announced during the time of CES and wasn't exactly, uh, didn't exactly go the way that the OEM thought it was, there was some news surrounding Huawei's announcement and uh, the the supposition was that they were going to announce a partnership with AT&T to launch the Mate 10 or the Mate 10 Pro with AT&T being the exclusive carrier partner here in the States. That did not materialize and the information that came out was that at kind of the 11th hour AT&T withdrew from that agreement, leaving Huawei hanging, which not only is a whole other conversation in and of itself, but also led to Huawei's uh, CEO, I think it was, during one of Huawei's keynote speeches, basically just going off script and talking about how uh, this was bad for consumers and the fact that uh, this could actually happen to any company was definitely... uh, not something that should be allowed to happen. And there are some rumors surrounding why that was. Um, what, did, what did you take away from that, Sean?
1: So there's been more than just rumors. We've actually seen firmware leak out that has notations for ATT firmware for the Bay10 Pro. So this was this was happening and has been kind of on the docket for a couple months. The rumors go back many months, I think yeah. EV Leaks first said it. So Huawei is the third largest uh, phone manufacturer in the world, but in the United States they don't get much traction. They don't sell a lot of phones here,
0: predominantly in business China right now. No carrier presence um, means no traction in the U.S.
1: Yeah, and they, my wife has a Mate 9 it's a great phone, so we we're kind of excited to get the Mate 10 Pro For here. Sure. And it sounds like actually in hindsight it's going to be on AT&T initially and then actually Verizon was going yeah. to get it later in the year too. Um, literally the night before the announcement it leaked out that the deal had been cancelled and that it would not coming to AT&T. So, um, there was lots of reasons being tossed around and it ends up looking like this is a political move. So what happened here, um, it looks like is that there was political pressure from the current administration to kill the deal because there were concerns about Huawei and spying because they're a Chinese brand. Now, there is some precedence for this. A couple of years back, Huawei did have some issue with one of their phones where it was sending some information back to servers. Um, they're not the only ones that have been guilty of this. I mean, Google's had issues even with their homes picking up information inadvertently, and these kinds of things happen.
0: The OnePlus issue recently, where issue information was being sent back to Alibaba.
1: So it didn't seem like this was necessarily something that they were doing on purpose, and this was a couple years back. Um, and so, anyway, the administration apparently leaned on AT&T to kill the deal at t is also trying to go through a merger right now with Comcast or Time Warner, one of the big oh, yeah. cable companies, Comcast, so okay. the Department of Justice is looking at them right now, and so they have every incentive to agree to what the government wants them to do. Pretty much. Uh, but liter- So this literally happened the night before, Huawei's CEO gets up there and he gives kind of a presentation that you can tell they took things out, he looks uncomfortable giving it and he kind of gets to the end and this is where he goes off script and he went through this kind of monologue of... He's been with the company a lot of years and he was talking about the growth and all the hard work they put in and you know how much they care about kind of making the best products and his point was you know this is bad for consumers because american audiences you can't launch a phone here without carrier support and american audiences are not getting access to their products their best products and maybe the best products uh but as a result of these things happening so you know, in summation, Huawei is launching the Honor 7X, which by all accounts is a great budget phone. It's amazing Absolutely. how far budget phones have come. And they are still launching the Mate 10 Pro here. It's $799. Um, I believe you can get a $150 gift card at most of the retailers that are selling it when you buy it. So it brings it down to $650. And it has all the stuff, you know, AMOLED screen, 189, it's near bezel list, dual cameras, 4000 mAh battery, 64 gig of memory, or is it 128 gig? Might be 128 gig, it's 64. And um, this one has the S D card double check on yeah, that. Yeah, i not even on yes. this. But you can get it, it's still coming here, but let's face it, without carrier support, it's,
0: you know. Almost DOA, which is really a terrible thing because, as we both agree, uh, choice for consumers is, is kind of paramount. And if you want to enter into a deal, then enter into the deal. And if you don't want to enter into the deal, then don't enter into the deal to begin with. It seems really disingenuous on AT&T's part to cave to these political pressures simply for the you know conservation of the almighty dollar. But uh, I've seen quite a few of the Mate 10 Pro uh, reviews and early looks and the battery life is insane. I watched both uh, Matt Moni's and Your Average Consumers videos on the Mate 10 and the battery life was exceptional. Both of them indicated they could get multiple days off of a single charge. The Leica branded dual camera setup is looking at least from test shots like it could rival the Pixel 2 XLs in terms of overall quality that uh, monochrome sensor and the RGB sensor combining to produce really stunning images and it, it is a shame that a lot of people in the States won't get an opportunity to see it at a carrier store because I think they might really enjoy it and that is not a good thing for anybody at the end of the so next up, we got some information from Sony that they may actually be bringing their phone back to, phones back to U.S. shores. There have been some issues in the past, uh, specifically regarding the fingerprint sensor and some other weird jazz, but what did we get about the XA2 and the XA2 Ultra?
1: Yeah, so Sony's one of the few OEMs that actually is still kind of introducing phones at CES. So at this point, though, they're mid-range. and years past, have been flagships, but what we have here is the XA and the XA2 Ultra, which are mid-range phones. They have Snapdragon 630s in them, so these are not top of the line, but they are interesting. We have a 5.2-inch Full HD phone, and then we have the 6-inch larger Full HD uh, Ultra variant. Um, and the big news here was the cameras. So um, they're bringing 23 megapixel cameras on the rear, and they have 16 megapixel selfie cameras on the front with OIS, which is kind of nice for a mid-range phone. For sure. Um, historically, Sony cameras have not been great. They have high megapixel counts, but due to their processing, they just have never kind of gotten the quality of other OEMs. They're just the so phone so, yeah. Sony has still been selling their phones in recent years in the United States, but not on carriers. The Ultra last year was their 4K flagship. Oh, yeah. Um, XZ Ultra yeah, was the actual name of it. Um, they've had problems with their fingerprint scanners. They have to disable them in the United States because they're built in to the power button on the side of the phone, and someone here holds a patent for that. I forget which company. And so they had them enabled overseas, but here they were disabled. You could flash firmware to make them work, but. No one's buying an $800 phone from unlocked and then flashing firmware. It's just not something people are typically doing. So they didn't get much traction. Um, These new uh, phones have a fingerprint scanner on the back and they work just as any others does. So obviously that was just a patent problem that is now mitigated by the fact they've moved them to the rear. As far as form factors are concerned, these still have huge chunky bezels. It's the same kind of, I think it's Omni design language they've been using for years. So, uh, square slabs with very tall top and bottom bezels. Um, The flagships that are coming out later today are rumored to have small bezels. So, Sony software is actually great. When you see Sony software comparisons versus other companies, I just saw the XE Ultra beating It was either the Note 8 or maybe it was even the OnePlus 5 or 5T, you know, know, opening up apps thing. It has really good app management and it's fast to to load apps. Um, So, you know, if they get the small bezel thing going, they have the fingerprint scanner on the back, maybe they actually can start to gain some traction for smartphones in the United States. But at this point, it's probably tough to break into the Sony, Apple, excuse me, Samsung, Apple, Google trifecta. Triopoly
0: uh more choices better and considering these are mid-range phones i guess we'll have to wait and see so uh some other news that came out was that really uh assistants digital assistants are trying to be everywhere uh and i talked off camera about uh, how we're trying to get a google assistant in your toaster and that's pretty much one of the themes of CES. There were a lot of incorporations of Assistant both in its Alexa and Google Assistant variants along with some companies even talking about their own digital assistants. I got some of the press release material from LG and they've got everything from Google Assistant in your TVs to smart speakers to your refrigerators. A lot of stuff. Um, The written word and some of the other photos you can check out at SiliconTheory.com. I'll put a link in the description down below but um, what else did you see with assistance that caught your eye, Sean?
1: God, everything. It's <laughs> it's amazing too. Like Alexa, you know, Amazon's launched first, and I would say it's technically inferior to the Google implementation as far as what they can do, as far as the capability of both. But I agree. it's just you know they launched first, and this is one of those things where launching first was important because they're in everything. I mean, TVs, refrigerators, um, you name it. Dash wand. Google, same. I mean, anything you can think of, they're in all these products. I'm trying to think why I would want to talk to my refrigerator. I guess in your kitchen, it's the appliance that would be there. So if you want to ask something, it's convenient, I guess. But to me, it just I like need to it, know
0: when I'm about to run out of coffee creamer because yeah. that's a life or death situation at my house.
1: To me, it just seems like another thing that's gonna break.
0: <laughs> but you know, what do I know? Um, Stop reaching for the soda, Sean.
1: Yeah, but one thing that we did see was uh, Google has kind of licensed out at home, and we saw kind of their version of the uh, smart assistant speaker with a screen on it. So there's a 7-inch and a 10-inch variant. I'm blanking out. I want to say it was Lenovo that introduced these. That's correct. um, They're going to license these out. And, you know, the rumor is that Google is going to make its own. There's been some hardware postings for jobs that lead us to believe that. There was rumors last year that they were trying to kind of rush this out for their announcement at the end of last year with the Pixel 2, but it just didn't happen. I expect that we're going to see this, and I would expect that... You know, it'll probably be fine. I don't know why I would want like a stationary device with a screen on it. I think I'd rather just have a tablet if I'm carrying something around. But there obviously is a market
0: for this. Um, The Amazon Echo Show would tend to agree with you. Yeah,
1: um, so we'll see uh, what they do with this technology. But this is one of those things like, it's inevitable that it's coming, I'm not sure what we're
0: going to do with it
1: or if I want
0: it, but hey. you, You uh, you probably won't know you want it until you get it in your home, and then once you get it in your home, you'll realize that you can't live without it, so.
1: I guess, and maybe I will realize that I can't live without a toaster that has Google Home in it either, or Google Assistant. Hey, okay. if
0: I can say uh, the Google hot word, make me some toast, that's going to make my life a lot better. The uh, last bit of news I think that we wanted to touch on wasn't really uh, a fantastic announcement, but something kind of sad, actually, and that's that LG is maybe moving away from an annual refresh cycle with their mobile phone hardware. Now, uh, this is kind of speculative at this point. We also heard some rumors that they're going to be dropping the G line, from um, their, the G moniker from their line of phones, but we also saw a render that said, hey, this is what the G7 is going to look like. So maybe it's a code name, maybe they were just toying with the idea of dropping the G line. but. Uh, the fact that LG is going to be releasing less phones uh, in the markets here in the US is definitely not something that I think of as good news. Um, the G6 was quite a good phone, we talked about it a lot on previous episodes of the show, and uh, the V30 is a fantastic phone and certainly is worthy of some consideration. So. Uh, the fact that LG might be getting out of the game, or at least maybe only doing one phone every 18 months, or maybe just doing one phone a year instead of two phones a year, uh, it's kind of disappointing and sad to me. What uh, What do you feel about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of sad because the V30, I think, is the best phone they've ever made by far. And I've always enjoyed having the, you know, excuse me, LG flagships in the market because they've kind of done some different things over the years. Like the V10 was a unique thing when it came out. and Um, The G4, the G5, even the modular concept that didn't go that well, they at least tried something new and it was nice to have another player in the market. Um, So, now, ultimately I think this is bad for consumers. Now, their mobile unit has been losing money ever since I can remember. They just don't make money. The companies that make money are Samsung and Apple and LG ain't one of them, so they don't make money. Pretty much. but it's too bad because their phones are really caught up in a lot of ways, but not releasing on a yearly schedule is suicide in the United States, I think. There's it's just bad. no way from a consumer standpoint that you're gonna keep up with the massive marketing from Samsung and Google and the yearly iPhone updates if you're not releasing something comparable and up to date every year. Um, it's also kind of doubly sad. We've seen whatever they're gonna call it, the G7 or whatever the name's gonna be. We saw uh, some leaks recently and the design looks really interesting. Yeah. It it is you know, when we talk bezel-less, they're not bezel right? All of them still have bezels. This is like 95% screen on the front. They got rid of the bottom bezel completely, so the screen goes all the way bottom like the iPhone X, only has an even smaller bezel. And then at the top, it just has a tiny bezel for the sensors. The design is really interesting looking it it. Indeed, it's being clean. true. Very Very clean looking. Um, and so it's kind of a bummer. I feel like they've kind of hit their stride. I wish they would actually pivot away from releasing more mid-range phones. I don't think they're getting much in the way of sales from those and maybe just release two flagships a year. I feel like that might be a better use of their time and money. Maybe. Um, because I think their flagships have caught up to some degree and, you know, as I said, we're both excited for the G7 and really enjoyed the V30. So, we'll see what happens. Um, again, Android Police wrote a great article since there was a Reddit article saying that, you know, with them out of the market, it basically is, it's a it's a duopoly with Samsung and Apple and then Google, is Google. trying to break in yeah. there. and, and He's been saying that for quite some time now, that the reason that Google brought the Pixel out was because Android had become synonymous with Samsung, and that's not Google's version of Android, that's Samsung's version of Android. But with the way things are going, that was going to be Android, the de facto version of Android for consumers, because they were the only big player left. So um, I I would hate to see LG fall out. I would too, so. Anything else? No, I mean, CS was interesting, but really it's just a warm up for a mobile world conference from my perspective, especially when it comes to mobile phones. Yeah. Um, TVs are great. There's lots of upgrades there. I can only get so excited about
0: refrigerators, so Refrigerators, robots, all that kind of stuff. Not necessarily interesting to us, but make sure you stay tuned to our channel here. You can always find us at silicontheory.com. Make sure you're following us on social. I'll link those below in the description, but we are at Silicon Theory on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All right, guys, that wraps it up for us. As always, thank you for
1: listening. Um, If you like what you hear, please hit the thumbs up button. Give us a like. If you love what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You know where that is. And uh, thanks for listening.
0: We'll talk tech soon.